I think one of the greatest barriers that we come up against is our thoughts, right? These inner workings that we don't really tell anybody about, and we're maybe a little embarrassed by them because we believe they are so solidly true, right? And we're like, if anyone hears this, they're going to think I'm crazy, or no one else can relate to this. No one's going to understand this. No one needs to hear any of this. And so instead of speaking it, instead of bringing it into the light, we live in the dark with it. And that keeps us stagnant and in the same place and scared to pursue anything else. And so that's something that is hard for me to speak to because it is probably one of my number one struggles. So that's why I had to bring in my friend, Allison. Allison is a marriage and family therapist. See, listen, this is tricky business guys, but she has her own practice. It's called freedom counseling. But here's what I love so much about Allison. What she wants to do is she wants to combine psychology and biblical doctrine. She thinks both can live together. She knows both can live together. And so I wanted to invite her here to kind of help us figure out, okay, these are the thoughts we're having and we don't know what to do with them. We don't even know why we're having them. So Allison, I'm going to let you take it. Okay. So how many of you have thoughts that you try really, really hard to get rid of and you can't? Invasive thoughts, memories from bad memories that you spend a lot of time trying to get rid of. Okay. So pretty much everyone, everybody struggles with this. And I loved that you mentioned thoughts from ancient time, which I I refer to our young childhood, our formative years as being ancient. The reason there's a neurological reason for this, you know, the, the neurons that fire together, wire together, and it's true. So my main practice is with individuals who have gone through situations that are nightmares for most of their childhood. Now, what that does to a brain is it changes the architecture of a brain. If you look at a healthy like we'll say typical brain, it has a specific course that it goes on and it it grows and it develops exactly how God intended it. You interpose trauma in there and it radically alters the way that the brain develops just simply because this alert system is going off all the time. And those neurotransmitters that, that go on with like cortisol and adrenaline and all that stuff is flooding this brain and it changes the way that the brain forms. So if you're an individual who's experienced something like that in your childhood and you always, you kind of wondered why is my processing the way that it is? And so we all have stories that are hard and we all have memories that are hard. When we rehearse these memories, it is a reinforcing kind of behavior. The brain is a historical organ. It likes to do what it's done. And every time that you rehearse that memory, it's, again, reinforcing the memory. And so what we're going to talk about is, well, what do we do with that? And how does that intersect with our faith? And then what are some of the ways in which the brain changes? We know that we can actually do pathways. Pathways can change. What I want to talk about, though, you can't really talk about thoughts without talking about the heart. So when I do therapy, I talk about the heart, because the heart is where we have spiritual growth and where our moral compass originates. Scripture even refers to the thoughts of the heart. It's kind of the central system, if you will, of your growth. Has anybody ever wondered the distinction between thought and heart or mind and heart when you've been looking at scripture? There's some somewhat, I would say, interchangeable, but I tend to go back to the heart as being the, the core of where we want to start when we're talking about actual change. Paul talks about this also when he says, I do that, which I do not want to do. How many of you have done that, which you don't want to do? Every one of you. Okay. Paul had a really good understanding of how you, how you need to deal with your thought life. How many of you try to think yourself out of a heart problem? Like if I just rationalize this, 
you sit there and you think I can think myself out of this. You cannot think yourself out of it. And here's why we were not made to think ourselves out of it. There is, a, there is going to be a thread that goes through all of this. And it is that you cannot do anything on your own. Everything that we talk about is done under the authority and power of Christ. You can't do it on your own. You were not made to. So if you're struggling with this idea of how to change and you believe, you know, I've handed it over to God, I've handed it over to God, I've handed, okay, don't pick it up again. When you talk about those ancient thoughts that come up through your life that have been kind of persisting, they didn't arrive overnight and it will take work to get them under control. You can do it. You may not get rid of them because they're there. They're resident in your brain. They're part of your makeup. But you can absolutely change the way you relate to those thoughts. And you can change how often you're having them. It begins in your heart, the attitude of your heart or the posture of your heart. Something that research has found out is the brain doesn't distinguish between what we imagine and what what happens to us. So if you spend a lot of time in your mind thinking about something, if you spend a lot of time in your mind thinking about something sinful, your brain is going to record that as though it's an event that happened. That may be why you, you... you're caught off guard or you're surprised when you end up do something, doing something dumb or doing something you regret. If you spent any amount of time thinking about that prior to that happening, your brain has already recorded that event as having happened and it's not making a distinction. So when the Bible talks about thinking on things that are lovely and truthful and just and that type of thing, and it says, take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to God, God knew this. <laughs> God knew before time, before anything was formed, that this is how your brain was going to interact with you. And he was deadly serious when he talked about what we think about. And and from the heart comes the action. How do we take our thoughts captive? How do we adjust the attitude of our heart so that it is aligned with Christ? Has anyone done anything that's been successful where you've, you have released it? It's, it worked. And you've been delivered from it. Do you know the feeling of being delivered from something you've been struggling with and suffering with in your mind? It feels like your body reacts. You have this, this weight lifted. So you know what it feels like to get yourself released from the bondage of heart beliefs and heart thoughts. And you said something excellent. We tend to believe what we think is true. And we tend, a, a great example of this is if anyone suffers from body image issues, okay, you think about something about yourself, you look at yourself in the mirror and you're critical, you're not sitting there going, oh, that's okay. No, most of us are going, that really feels true. That's a lie. <laughs> we know it's a lie, but we believe, we believe it. Because we tend, again, we tend to give our thoughts that kind of weight. Begin to be aware of what you're believing is true. That's the first question you ask yourself. Be curious. Is this even true? The next thing you can do is, it feels really true, but what do I know is true? Reference your scripture. I mean, understanding and memorizing those scriptures where Jesus talks about who you are and who he says you are. Why don't we believe we're beautiful because Jesus tells us we're beautiful? Why don't we believe that? Jesus has called us his beloved. He's called us perfection. Why do we not own that? So we have to examine our calculus 
for what we're believing and why. If we don't get ourselves aligned with what Jesus says about who we are, we are going to struggle and suffer with these things in perpetuity. It's not sexy. It's not cool. It's not any of those things. You can't stick it on Instagram. You have to know who your father is and what he says about you. And then the next thing you want to do immediately after you grasp that is believe it. There's an intentionality to this whole process that is frustrating and annoying and long, and it's why most people don't do it. One of the most common refrains I hear in therapy is, I try, I've tried, I've tried. I try to to tell my thoughts no. I try to, I, I get it. I do too. I try also. Keep trying. Remembering this is not under your steam. You're not the one who's doing this. What did Jesus say about what he would give you. I can do some things. I can do a third of the things I need to do. What can you do? All things. So start claiming the promise that he is going to give you what you need. He does not tell us to do stuff. He doesn't give us the power to do. And here's the really, really unpopular thing that I'm about to tell you. If it's not working, where does the fault lie? We have to examine what we're doing. I don't say that to belittle you. I'm not telling you anything that I have not done myself a thousand times. I would love if it was God's fault one time. And God doesn't sit there in condemnation and judgment going, try again. God is lovingly, continually, first of all, he's continually singing praises over us, but he's also lovingly and gently talking this through this, reminding us, okay, let's go back. Let's go back to what we know is true. And, and this is where becoming very aware of the posture and the attitude of your heart is critical because if there is a hiccup, it's going to be there and you want to do real deep exploration. This is when, you know, the verses that talk about search my heart, that's what you're asking for. And if you ask God to do that, he'll do it. So be prepared. Just same kind of prayer. Like if you pray, Lord, break me, just know what you're doing when you do that. So If you are struggling with thoughts or you're struggling with beliefs about yourself that you had no control over, meaning something was done to you, and and I'm, I'm going to say this with all the love and kindness that I can, you are not responsible for what somebody, what sin somebody sinned against you. That's not your responsibility at all. However, God has made us to rely on him in order to grow and heal out of that. That is our responsibility. And what that means is we have to be responsible for the lies that we believe about ourselves as a result of that. You are not responsible for what was done to you, but you are responsible for what you believe about yourself. That's not an indictment. That's a reality. And I only say that so that you know what to do next. It means that you have the ability to affect change. If you're responsible, you can change it. So when you are struggling with this, with these continual kind of repressive ideas or these thoughts, the beginning posture is confession. Lord, I have been trying to do this on my own. I am frustrated. I am hurt. I'm going to talk about transparent communication here for a second. I don't know if any of you have been in therapy and have heard that term before, but that is where you were talking about what is exactly what's happening to you in that moment. And one of the most 
wonderful parts of our relationship with Jesus is that you can be real honest with him. This is really hard. I don't like this. I feel terrible. I believe that this is true. Help my unbelief. And you go before the Lord and you lay the confession out. And so if the Lord tells us to take our thoughts captive, he's going to give us a way to do that. And it begins with, I do not have the power. I don't have it within me. I wish that I had some really amazing, eloquent, like flow chart that told you how to do this step by step. But what you're going to find is that we're going to go back to the very things that some of what you knew, but perhaps you understand it differently. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. We want to think in absolute terms. I want to get rid of everything that's going to hinder me from being able to do what God wants me to do or to be able to think the way God wants me to think. And when I say be intentional, I mean, no kidding. If the thought comes into your mind, I don't care where you are, you're going to verbalize no and say it. There is power in our ability to speak. Satan can't read your mind, but he can certainly hear you. He's also real, real clever, and he's been doing this a long time. So we have to appreciate that when we start to push back, he's got a plan also. So be prepared to meet resistance. But you have a God who is infinitely more powerful. And Satan is not going to win that one. If you will be patient with your Lord, watch and see what he does. C.S. Lewis has a fantastic quote. I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to butcher it is what I'm going to do, actually. But it's uh, paraphrased. You're going to get to heaven. It matters if you go like John or Judas. I understand that. It's very hard. Beth Moore says it's hard. It gets harder. It does. And it gets really hard. And then it gets a little easier. And I found that to be true. So activate Hebrew 12.1. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So when you begin to have these thoughts, that's your invitation to do something. Thoughts are not truth. Sit back and be an observer. Okay, fine. That's great. Sometimes that works. You sit back and go, okay, thought that's, that's invading. I'm going to set you out here. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to judge it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to watch it. And then it will pass. It may come back, but feelings are fluid. We can feel like we are constantly in a certain state, but just know that it does pass. One of the beautiful things about the brain, the brain has this interesting feature where it, it cannot operate in compatible systems at the same time. So we have a system called the default mode network where you do daydreaming. You know, when you start to daydream and you're kind of like in this, it feels very real. When these thoughts come up, that's what's activated is this default mode network. Okay. What you want to begin to do is you want to switch networks. We have something called a task positive network that that isn't a, that's the network where you begin to do activity. These two things cannot operate at the same time. The thought comes up, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm feeling sick, I don't like this thought. I'm now going to get activated. What do I do? What can you do? Well, you can get up, you can move, you can change directions, you can put music on, you can begin to take control of your thought and take control of your life. You don't have to sit there in that. You want to start doing things that put you 
in an active brain. So think about if, if this is something you're struggling with, go home and think about the things that you can do that are active. Memorize scripture because that's what you're going to use. That's also part of your active part of it is what do I want to use to refute this? And then go back to what we said earlier about why don't I believe it? <laughs> Lord, help my unbelief. That's got to be one of the most powerful sayings or phrases or thoughts or concepts we get out of the Bible, these interactions that these people have, help my unbelief. Meditate is the last. There are many scriptures that talk about this idea of ruminating on and, and thinking on scripture, bearing it in your heart. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I am embarrassed about how many times I probably read that and not really thought about what that meant until, it, until I desperately needed to understand what that meant. And so I would encourage all of you to not get to the point where you are desperate to know what that means. You want to pray all the time. That's what we're supposed to do. It's an ongoing dialogue. I know that if I had ongoing dialogue with Jesus, there is a lot that I probably wouldn't have done. And it's what God designed us to do to keep us in his will and to keep us from harm. That's it. That's, that's all I've got. That's all she wrote. I'm going to invite my friends, Leah and Amy. You all have heard from them before. I'm going to invite them to come on up because every week, here's what we do. I ask you guys for your questions about these topics, right? So what Allison did for us is she told us this side of it of how our brains actually work. So now what I want to do is get into the practical side of it. I want to hear your all's personal experiences with this and your thought life and what, how it's impacted you. But you know, you already talked about this a little bit, Allison, which was what the connection between how we think and what we do and how what we do can change how we think. But for those moments when you're like, I can't just keep going and distracting myself. So you're laying in bed at night. You know, is it one of those things, you know, the scripture you just referenced, whatever is true, whatever is right. Are you just running your thoughts through that checklist? Okay. Is this true? No. Is this, is this pure? No. Practically speaking, how, how are you when you're laying in bed at night and these thoughts come, what's the first thing you do? So I used to sit and like cogitate until I was like 45 minutes had passed. Now I think I don't even know what cogitate is, but I like it. I'm going to start saying it. You know, I'm going to say it now. Essentially, it's like, you know, like a hamster on a wheel. Just you continue. And then oh, that's me. I don't I know if it. you have like arguments with yourself and you're like, I would say this and then I would say that. And then oh, I'm going like, to come you at you know, so hard doing... in my head every right. time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. <laughs> they always sound like much better in my head. And then I get real mad. So what I do now is I think of it as an invitation. It's an invitation to find out what God wants me to know. What it, okay, I'm awake. I don't like this thought. I don't want to spend any time on this thought. What is it that you want for me? Mm -hmm. Every day that you get up, that's the question you want to be asking yourself is, God, who do you want me to be in service to your kingdom? What, what do you want me to know about what's happening? Throw it back to God. Kick it back to God. You, can, you cannot bug him. So if you consider that an, an invitation to find out Maybe, you know, you may get nothing in response. It may be that God just wants you to sit still with this. That is also a reality. Living in the distress of what we're experiencing is one of the ways in which God grows us. I mean, you've seen all of the motivational posters about God doesn't 
move the Red Sea, he parts it or something to that effect. I'm inspired. I, <laughs> right. love, I, I like that. That was great. <laughs> Mine is a ship that sunk. Let your life be a warning. So yes, sometimes it's simply about learning how to sit with what it is you're living with. Jesus did. Jesus felt everything. And he knows what you're experiencing. I'm not going to put a percentage to it, but I would say more often than not, you're learning how to sit through patiently what it is you're experiencing. Leah, for you, how has your thought life impacted personally who you are as you've grown up, as you've gone through college years and gotten to this point? So it's, I'm going to take this twofold. So it's impacted two things, the way I view myself and the way that I view others. So it's essentially affected everything. It's affected every choice, every response, every decision, every relationship, every single thing that has um, been my life. Because of my negative thoughts, it has created negative emotions, which has created negative decisions, which has created negative behaviors, which has created really horrible relationships, which has created cycles. So that's how I continue to find myself in verbally abusive relationships in college. That's why I had debilitating anxiety and, and a lot of it stemmed from an emotional or emotionally abusive relationship that I had six years ago. And I thought I had worked through, but I hadn't. And over the last year, I've had to reshape and rewire the way that my brain has thought about myself and about others. So I talked about this last time, but I talked about how you have a choice. You have a choice to make. If you want to reset your brain, if you want to think positive about yourself and positive about others, you have to make that choice. You can't just say, oh, yeah, today I'm going to do it probably. Like, no, you make the choice. You walk away from the negative and you start receiving the truth. So if we're talking negative about ourselves, I have noticed that you're going to rub off on your friends. You have to start reshaping the way that you talk about yourself and the way you talk about others. The last thing that I said was in Proverbs 18, 21, it talks about how our words hold the power of life and death. And we don't really often take that for face value. But if we started approaching the way that we talk about ourselves and the way that we talk about others, then we would probably be a lot more positive. And when I remind myself, I am created in the image of God. I'm so embarrassed when I'm like, I look disgusting today. He's like, well, that's rude because you have my eyes. Or like, you know what I mean? Or like, oh, well, that's funny because I actually created you to look exactly like that. And even what you touched on with how you uh, talk about yourself, but then how it ends up, how you talk about others. I think if when you are super critical about yourself, it is a lot easier to also be critical about others, right? Or to be critical about other circumstances or to be critical about other people's choices because you're living in it and you think what, hey, they should live in it too. So like, if I'm thinking this way, I'm going to push my thoughts off on them too and see if they get in the boat with me. And I think one of the greatest things, you know, I told you all the first week when my mom was up here, what she says to me all the time is that's from the pit. If I say something out loud that is not fully accurate or true, she always just like, that's from the pit. Because you have to have people in your life who will not allow you to live in that. Even if they're trying to comfort you and they're like, yeah, I know that feeling. I feel that way too. You know, like whatever. You need more people who are like, no, that is not true. Let me tell you, let me remind you what is true. Right. So I think that's so, that's so valid how the people around you impact it just as much. Well, nine times out of 10, it's probably because we're insecure and we don't like to admit it. 
but Amy, I want to ask you the same thing. How has your thought life impacted who you are? When you sent me this question, I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> and then you sit and you reflect and just ask the Lord, you know, what does that look like? Like, how did I get where I'm at? And why does my life look the way it looks because of my thoughts? And I was reminded, the Lord reminded me that when I first met my husband, he had set out that Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 was a verse for us that we were going to set our hearts on, our lives upon. And so what has happened is throughout our family, all big decisions, everything that we're dealing with, hard things, good things, we go back to that verse. Our children know we go back to that verse. That's our family verse, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. And I'll stop right there because my understanding is what my thoughts are about the circumstances around me. But the Bible is very clear that is not how you make decisions. And that is not what truth is. And I I was listening to something today about how when the spies were, you know, they were, I guess, the Israelites trying to, you know, take over the land, they came back and they said, We are like bugs in their eyes, right? We're grasshoppers in their eyes. Well, they didn't actually tell them that, hey, you look like grasshoppers in our eyes. They assumed that in their thoughts. And so they came back and then they spread that belief around to everyone around them. But that's not what was true. And if I had, so what we have done in throughout our marriage is lean on this verse and say, okay, we have to trust you, Lord, more than our thoughts. And we have to trust you more than our circumstances and what looks like around us. So it may look like I can't take that job because I'm not qualified. Well, that's my thoughts and that's the circumstances and that's what it looks like, but that's not truth because the Lord told me to walk forward, right? So we trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding. And then what we do next is in all our ways, acknowledge him And then he does the rest, which is he directs our paths from there. So my life looks dramatically different. I didn't set out to have eight children and work full time. Everyone right now is like, what? No joke. (laughs) And I don't say that a lot. I usually don't share that piece, but you have to know no one sets out to do that. (laughs) And it's because, (laughs) and it's, we only got here because it was trusting the Lord because no one would feel qualified to take care of eight kids. Even when you have them, you don't feel qualified mm-hmm. to take care of one, much less more than that, or, or any of the hard things that we come up against in life. You're not enough, but Jesus is. And so he's going to walk you into circumstances where you're not enough and you're not qualified, but he is. Mm-hmm. Leah, you said the negative self-talk. You know, it was a problem for you. You know, it leaked over in other parts of your life. So let's talk about the days that you wake up and it starts with that, right? That first thought, or maybe halfway through the day, someone reminds you, you feel this way about yourself, or you think this thought and what happens? It spirals very quickly. I remember reading this book and it said, if you even crack the door to this, you might as well open it fully. Cause once one gets in, they're all coming in. So how do you keep yourself from spiraling? So last fall, when I was going through all that horrible stuff, I was in a spiral every single day for like three and a half months. I woke up and went to bed in a spiral. And I think it's, I think the enemy really likes to use our thoughts and spirals to, to put some spiritual warfare in our direction. And so the first thing that I do is I physically put on the armor of God, which sounds so cheesy, but I will go and I will stand in front of a mirror and I will 
talk out loud to the Lord and I will put on the armor of God. And I swear it actually works because it's, it helps me. And then I, <laughs> here's how I know it and, does because it does. Well, backstory <laughs> on that. When I was really struggling, when I was really struggling, I texted three separate people completely unrelated and was telling them what was going on. And they said, stop what you're doing. Go put on the armor of God. And by the third time I was like, I hear you. I'm going to do that. And then the second thing I do is I really rely on my community and my people to pray over me with me. I will call somebody and I'll be like, I need you to pray over me right now because sometimes I can't even find the words to pray over myself. And then the last thing that's really important is get alone with God because that's the last thing that the enemy wants. He doesn't want you to sit alone with God and actually talk out loud and, and speak out what you're feeling. So name that insecurity, name, name what you're feeling, name that emotion, get it out there. And that's an actual representation of surrendering it to the Lord. Cause I think like, I don't know what it is, but a lot of people don't like to talk out loud and pray out loud, but I just kind of talk to him. Like I would be talking to Aubrey or Keisha and I'm like, yo, dude, this day is the worst. And then usually it's in the car, but I, I get along with God and I speak out verbally speak out what I'm feeling. And then at that point, I, I release it and then I walk away. There is something about saying it out loud. Amy said this to me once. She was like, when you say it out loud, it's not in the dark anymore because darkness hates light. And when you bring it into the light, it doesn't have as much power over you anymore. But I think we are all so hesitant to speak things out loud like that. But Amy, off of that, how can we be more intentional about the way that we think? How have you kind of offset the lies that you found yourself telling yourself? Yes, just to, I wanted to share this because I struggle at night time. And I won't go to your question. I struggle at night time. I can wake up in the middle of the night and think about everything. Yes, and I started this terrible habit of watching below deck instead of actually, oh, thinking, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, reality TV will fix this. It didn't, it did not. <laughs> but I thought, you know, this is a healthy practice. Let's see what yes. happens. I have learned there. I have to learn what my cutoff is at nighttime where I am no longer rational. And, and at three in the morning, I'm not rational and I wake up and I can't breathe. And I'm thinking every decision I've ever made is wrong. And that is, that is the time where I don't, I have to shut it down. This is not the time to figure out your problems and to go and reevaluate all the decisions you made the day before. There is whatever you got to do to get back to sleep at that point. Why are you laughing, Allison? Because <laughs> you do this. There, there's a time and a place. That's not it. And you have you can quote scripture, memorize it, turn on worship music, whatever helps you get back to sleep. But it is not the time to deal with what is coming into your mind at that time. And OK, so and the Lord is so sweet because he's he says, be still and know that I am God. And he also says that I give to those who love me even in their sleep. So there's sometimes where it's better for you to stop thinking and go to sleep and trust him to be the God of the universe and the God who provided salvation for you and who has saved your soul to take care of you while you go sleep because he's, he's not sleeping and he's still giving to you and he's still working things out. So just want to mention that just because I have personal uh, experience with the middle of the night thinking, but how can we be more intentional? I think that one way is something we've talked about yesterday was self-awareness and just knowing what you can handle and what you can't handle. I know me personally, I can't handle social media. That is not something that is going to help me think on the things that are pure and lovely and right. I think about all the things that I've done wrong. I could do better. 
I'm not measuring up. Why does my life not look like that? You may not struggle with that. And I'm just putting that out there to say that I do struggle with that. So I have to be self-aware to know that's not going to keep me in line with God's will for my life and to keep my thinking on track on his, on his word. The second thing would be you can spend an hour with the Lord in the morning and then go the rest of your day and not think about him. But what if you walk with the Lord all day long? And like you talked about talking in the praying in the car, all, I mean, just throughout the day and being more intentional about what you're putting in your mind, because these are the things that we think on. And so that includes what we're watching, what we're listening to, who we're letting speak into our life. And of course, spending that time with the Lord, I'm not saying don't use that time in the morning to spend with him. But it's not just a check it off my list. Okay, I'm done. But learning to actually walk with him will change your thought pattern throughout your life. And what so much of this revolves around is choice and that intentional living that we've talked a whole lot about this summer. Instead of just letting things happen to us, we are self-aware enough to know our role in them and taking responsibility for our role in them. Instead of thinking, well, they did this, they said this or I'm not good enough for this, what does it look like to take responsibility for those thoughts? What does it look like to make the choice when those thoughts come that you're going to do something? Because it's not just going to happen by itself. None of these things, literally nothing that we've talked about this whole summer, if there's one thing you can take away, not one of these barriers come down by themselves. You don't just wake up one day and this barrier to this more that you are so passionate and want to pursue, you're not just waking up and it's gone. It takes a hard work. It's like you said, a hard work, but then it gets a little harder and then it gets easy, right? Easier. I don't think this, this life that we live on this earth is ever going to be easy per se, but you know, this has been, you all have seen me cry like three times this summer. So, you know, this has been a hard summer for me and God's been doing a hard work in me. And my prayer over and over has just been, God, help me to understand what I don't understand. It's like Amy said, there are things that we can, in our own understanding, it's our thoughts that we understand. It's our view of the circumstance. But what does it look like to take these thoughts, to take these circumstances and put them at the feet of Jesus and say, I need you to inspect this. I need you to look at this from every angle for me. And I need you to tell me what is untrue, and then plant the seeds of truth in me right now. That is what I need from you because he wants us to tell him what we need from him, right? He wants us to say those things out loud. So all all I can say on this topic is what I've been trying to do is, God, help me understand what I do not understand. And these thoughts that come in, when I say them out loud, when I bring them to the light, they have a whole lot less power. So one practice that I've been trying to do all summer It's in my journal in the morning. I started journaling these thoughts and these like doubts that I have and this uncertainty or whatever it is, I write it down and I write down what I believe is true in this moment. What do I just earnestly and honestly believe is true right now? Write it down. And then like Allison said, I write down a truth that is paired with that untruth. And then that is what I say over and over until I believe that truth more than I believe the lie. And if you want to start changing these thoughts, you've got to start doing something about them. So that's what I, if you leave with anything, it's what are you going to do about them? See the work that Jesus wants to do in you right now that your thought life is creating a barrier to. 